Today's readings are Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 through 15, and John chapter 15, 4 through 6. They can be found on pages 168 and 995 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, not your, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. John fifteen four through 6 Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The word of the Lord. All right, I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, we bring ourselves, our lives, our stories, and our journeys. We bring events, we bring emotions, we bring trauma, we bring celebrations and gladness along with grief. In the mystery of the kaleidoscope of all that we bring, we also turn in the service at this point, especially at this point, and we do what Christians have been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years, is believing that we can hear your voice. It, it's an unpopular view to say that your voice is coming to us through an ancient text, a sacred text that's unpopular and seems unlikely. Perhaps even more unpopular and unlikely is that your voice might also come through a modern-day human person speaking about that text. And yet, we have no other choice. We sit here with all of what we bring, and we're looking to you. So open our ears so that they might hear. Open our hearts that they might be soft enough soil for your word to be planted and open up our minds that our thoughts may glorify you and they might lead to knowing you better. As we come more of a mess than we care to admit, we hang to the fact that you have decided to love us in the mess. And so our status, if we would believe it, is that we are a mess, but we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And may that sink in today. Amen.
<clears throat> we have two passages. I think they're talking about the same thing. It doesn't, you know, you don't see that at first, but I hope you'll see it by the end of the few words that I'll share. Remain in me. John 15, words of Jesus saying this, remain in me. You are the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then this other seemingly very different scripture passage that says, observe, Deuteronomy 6 or 5, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I would say the bigger idea is remaining in God and remaining in God through Jesus and the pract- one of the practical ways and gifts of God to do that is Sabbath. Um, because of where we find ourselves in our culture today, because we don't have a Sabbath culture, because we don't even have a Sabbath subculture in our church and in most churches, I have a Sabbath readiness test or quiz so I love that we are just kind of small and cozy enough that I can just walk down the middle here and pass these out. So take one and pass it on. Um, just kind of look at these as they come to you. If you have extra, help pass them on to the next row. Just look at these and kind of read through the items on this Sabbath readiness quiz. I don't know if I got you guys enough. Here's another one in case. Oh, man, it's on the floor now. There you go. Um, yeah, work hard on this. <laughs> Here you go. Is it antithetical to take a quiz on the Sabbath? Are you allowed to move that pen and create words on the Sabbath? I'm not saying you have to write on it, but that t- certainly, I know some of you will have pens and some of you won't. Um, I think I left one of those in my Bible so that I could read it. Let's see if I did. I don't know if I did. Is there an extra? Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dan. All right, so you look at this list and you go, um, there's nothing really official about this quiz. It's just a list that Peter Scazzaro, in his book about emotionally healthy spirituality, it's a list he uses sort of as an assessment. So Sabbath readiness assessment. You might think about in the last seven days, you know, since last Sunday, are any of these things true? Or how many of these things are true since last Sunday? You might say, in the last three days, how many of these things were true? Or you might say, in the last 24 hours, how many of these things were true? And then you might say, today, how many of these things were true? And my kind of intuition is that if if maybe the, the answer would be that you need Sabbath if three of them, if you checked three of them within any measure, especially if you, for today. Am I anxious? Uh, or I, I'll, I'll, I just changed the wording. It goes like this. I am anxious. I am rushing or hurrying. My body is in a knot. I felt that. Have you? My body is in a knot. I've had people describe that tightness in their chest when they meet with me. I am doing too many things. Check. My mind cannot stop racing. Check. I am driving too fast. I am not able to be fully present with people. 
I am irritable about the simple tasks of life, like having to wait in line at the supermarket. I am skimming over time with God. Check, 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 check. Um, how many of you had three of those just this morning? <laughs> how many within the last 24 hours? How many within the last three days? How many within the last week? It's lots of hands going up. Sabbath readiness assessment complete. We need it. I didn't need to tell you that. Um, the question, so, so one of the reasons, or one of the things you got to get at is why? Why is it so hard to slow down? The question of the week. One answer was, there's too much to do. Another is, because we don't know where, where our anchor is. Another one is, sadly, our culture in the West seems not to value or incentivize slowing down. What is easy, what is easy to see as lazy or unambitious is actually wise, countercultural and sustaining. And someone says, I love the honesty here, I battle the voice in my head that says when I've slowed down, I'm not working hard enough to provide for my family. Listen to this. Can, would you be honest enough to write this down for someone like me to read? They said, I s- truly struggle to believe that God will meet my monetary needs. That bit of faith is very hard for me, even after all these years of walking with God. Why is it so hard? I, um, I stand up here urgently needing Sabbath as much as any of you might. My particular personality wiring, and I think it is, there is a spectrum because I see um, having four kids, living in a family of six, and seeing also a lot of you and talking to you, I think you can see differences in just people kind of how, how they come into the world, how they position themselves towards uh, busyness. And I position myself way on one end of just keep making up things to do for myself over and over. So I'm not your Sabbath role model, I'll tell you right away. Friday, I, I was just telling Jared that um, Friday I decided to try a 24-hour uh, Sabbath period, lit a candle, an electronic candle, and left it on for 24 hours because I, I realized, you know, I, I think I need to own up to the fact that um, all f- like five or six Sabbath sermons I've preached up to this point were being preached by someone who in their adult life had never stopped for a 24-hour period of time in the sense of a Sabbath. I think it's time to just call a spade a spade and to do the hard work of this. And so I realized within the first hour of having that little candle on that I had already done some work emailing and texts Sabbath is not easy with that thing buzzing in your pocket. If you felt the stress of being overpacked with your schedule, of having anxiety or overwhelm or panic attacks, if you felt uh, like you don't get enough sleep consistently, if you feel like you've, you are consistently stretched too thin, like you can't stop, even though maybe you know that you should or need to, if you feel like you can't say no, even though you know you need to, if you, um, you don't rest, even when you know you need it, then I feel your pain. I am with you. I'm in all of those struggles. Why? That was the question of the week. Why? 
why is it so hard to slow down? One of the things I think, one of the reasons why is it's work. Work is a part of us. We were made for work. And so you see even before Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 2, before things had gone awry, already there was the suggestion of Adam working and caring for the garden. We are made to work. It's good. It's a little bit refreshing, right? You thought I was just going to beat you up about your workaholism. We're made. We have it in us to work. Um, But our work sense, our work radar is off. It's broken. It's going haywire to varying degrees. In the Bible, you get eventually to you know, the Ten Commandments in Exodus and mentioned again in Deuteronomy that we read from. The laws, uh, somebody once, uh, one of my professors, my Old Testament professors once said that the, the Torah, the, the law of God given to, the, to ancient Israel was damage control. It wasn't like the final be-all and end-all and like once you have this, the path will be clear forever. Just follow these Ten laws and all these other scattered things and you'll be okay. It was damage control. It was a gift. God loves his world and loves us so much that he entered in and gave a kind of a shepherding path with some specifics. We need specifics in our, in our messed up view of work. We're that messed up. And the ancient people seem to have been messed up just as much. They needed specifics. I don't know if you noticed, but Deuteronomy 5, when it gets to the commandment on Sabbath, which I think Sabbath keeping, if, if anybody today at all cares about the Ten Commandments at all, and there's not much of that, but if there is much of that, we'd probably say, oh yeah, murder, adultery, coveting, stealing. We would say, yeah, these resonate. Don't throw those out. Every day, people who believe in this book are throwing out Sabbath. But, it, you know, let's just keep it real. That's, it's it's kind of like, eh, it feels optional, <laughs> right? doesn't feel, eh, you know. Make laws about it in our country. No, murder, yes. Sabbath, eh. You know which one is the longest commandment? Sabbath. The most, like, God almost saying, like, I better, I better pack in the detail with this. Because people are going to want to skirt around this like that. It gets really specific. I don't have to detail all of it, but you should not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male, or female servant, or ox, or donkey, or any, you know, as if you don't get the point, any of your animal. It just keeps going and going. Not the foreigners. Not anyone. And then it goes on with a sort of what today I would say is like a gospel reminder and lesson about why the Sabbath, you know, almost giving like a, like, because God knows that we're going to run away from Sabbath so easily. He's like, no, 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 listen. Once, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Anyway, there's a lot of detail. It's long and yet we still ignore it. We need it, they needed it, and we need it in specifics. And yet, I would say that what day you celebrate doesn't matter. And let me walk you through that a tiny bit. In the beginning, God, there's this creation narrative. 
and it says on the seventh day that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. There's this word, kadesh or kadosh, and it's a Hebrew word that means holy. And you would think, what is going to be mentioned as holy in the Bible? And the very first time that word gets used, it's about the seventh day. Holy. And then what we just read, we get to be part of keeping it holy. And you might say, Mark, this is sounding pretty intense. How dare you say it doesn't matter which day? Sounds like God's put some hocus-pocus magic on the seventh day. Let's not mess with that. The Bible, you know, how can you call yourself a, someone who takes Scripture as, as authoritative and knowing God and moving towards God and then just say, oh, it doesn't matter which day? Well, there's something called progressive revelation. There's a view of Scripture that says there's some progress happening, that God doesn't just drop something down and now we have all we need, that God enters in lovingly to, uh, to people as time progresses. And as in the story kind of unfolds itself over a long period of time, taking into account, God seems to take into account exactly where a culture is at one point and knows that these kind of things that I'm revealing, using to reveal myself now, they'll become kind of stale and passe some, some place down the line. So eventually we get to Jesus. And Jesus comes, and Christians believe Jesus was God's presence coming in human form. And Jesus says, I came not to throw out the law. So all those kind of specifics like tabernacle and Ark of the Covenant and um, the Lamb's blood on the doorpost at Passover. I came not to wipe away all that and d- destroy all that. I came to fulfill it. There's progress happening in God revealing himself lovingly to us. And so Christians, seeing all of this, they learned from Jesus with the Holy Spirit's help, they learned that Jesus fulfills, Jesus There's nothing really important about the specific nature of a tabernacle. It was leading towards God. In the same way, now Jesus is the tabernacle. Prophets and priests, there was nothing particularly holy about those people, but God used them, spoke through them, worked miracles through them to bring God's self to his people. And Jesus is the now the final definitive prophet and priest and king. You could go on and on with all of these images used in the Old Testament. Blood on the doorpost at Passover. The lamb that was slain. Jesus becomes the lamb. And then one more to bring it all back around. Sabbath. Sabbath was a particular day, a particular time. Jesus comes and he says, remain in me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. And so Christians didn't have a problem knowing all of that sort of background of how to view Jesus and how to view how God reveals himself. Christians didn't have a problem saying, we will shift 
to the day of resurrection, the, f- the first day of the week instead of the seventh day of the week, and there will be a resurrection celebration, and we will, we will do Sabbath-type things, and on that day, eventually, did you know Constantine declared the first day of the week, Sunday, he declared it as Sabbath? The, what, what, in my tradition, the Dutch Reformed tradition eventually talked about the Lord's Day. I don't know if that's in any of the traditions you came from. Jesus said, remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus came to be our Sabbath, to be our rest. Um, Jesus came to put to rest all of the working that we're doing to prove ourselves, to save ourselves. Did you catch the wording on the confession of sin earlier? I took note of it. We seek your salvation, then we act like we save ourselves. All of humanity acts like they save ourselves. we save ourselves. Christians are the hypocritical ones. They say, God, you save me. And then we turn the next day and work for six days to try to save ourselves. <laughs> so Jesus came to put to rest all of our flawed uses of work. We work to validate ourselves. We work to try to make a stable living and have stability and predictability. We, we work hard to have a, you know, this phrase, a standard of living. We work really hard to make a name for ourselves sometimes. We work really hard because we feel like we, inside of us there's a voice that says, you haven't done enough. We work hard because in one way or another we're trying to get some kind of deep approval. And then in the church, all the time, in all different parts of the Christian family, all traditions have been affected by walking in the doors and have been full of of a belief in trusting in God and trusting in Jesus, but then turning all of these things we do, the specifics that are meant to lead us to that trust and to use religious activity to be a way that we're trying to earn our way to God. And the gospel is a dramatic shock to our system. It's like someone throwing a pail of ice water on your face. It's a shock All you thought that you must achieve and work for and earn is already yours in Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's okay. Amen. This is what one of the ways Jesus said it is that the kingdom of God is like discovering a buried treasure, a life changing, massive buried treasure. You go away laughing and skipping, you know? Woohoo! And. And then you go liquidate everything and you borrow money and whatever favor you've got to turn in for or create a new loan over here because you're going to buy this land and easily pay off all that, all those little loans you just created. It's like, that's what the gospel is like. That's what you have. It's undeserved. It's unearned. And so when you, when you have this treasure... Everything is different from that point on. If you, if you feel the gospel in that way and feel what Jesus has done for you in that way that's been given to you, everything's different. When you stop work, you are practicing the gospel. You're exercising your faith in that treasure. And what is the treasure? God's work 
on your behalf. It's like Jesus clocked in so that you can clock out once in a while. And every time you clock out, you're living in that reality. It's, and it's wonderful. You begin to, if you're, you orient your mind and say, I'm clocking out because Jesus clocked in, then you start to experience your salvation. You start to experience the gospel. You start to experience the joy and the fruit of remaining in him. But it kind of feels like, you know, I must keep going. The gospel assures me I can stop. I can remain. So, kind of just wrapping up. Because one of the things I really, I had about four sermons worth of notes. And I'm like, I got to give people a chance to practice this. Maybe I could give you an extra five minutes today by shortening my sermon. (laughs) And you'll feel like you have all this extra time. To maybe, you know, I also, there's lots of jokes about this that I was engaging with people this week. You know, I'm preaching on Sabbath, so I can kind of relax on my work of the sermon. I can do shoddy work because I trust God to do his work on my behalf. All kinds of jokes, right? But just wrapping up, when, when actual people you know begin to practice Sabbath, and you can talk to them. It, can, it gets specific. Someone says, you know, I'm, and in this church we have some of these people, I'm actually starting to take one day off a week, me or my family or, what, or us as a couple. You know, people are trying this. Some of you have never done it. You're like I was up until Thursday, <laughs> that you had never in your adult life, you have never in your adult life tried an actual 24-hour period of stopping and I called up Chris Fisher because I knew she had gone through dive and in that process felt God nudging and guiding her towards Sabbath. It was right around that time. I forget exactly all why, but I knew she was starting to engage in Sabbath. She was starting to try that with her family. She has three kids. Um, so I can kind of resonate with like, how would, I, how would we ever do that in my house with four kids and we're all going different directions and so maybe I'll just start trying it myself. So I called Chris and I chatted with her and it was just very clear um, that when you enter in, when you stop and begin to try, you, have, you begin to experience the richness. You begin, these lessons all start to just happen. You, in other words, you want to grow you want a whole bunch of practical, nitty-gritty growth opportunities? Just take a Sabbath. Take an actual 24-hour period where you don't have any like shoulds or have-tos. And you maybe, if you have a lot of those, you get them done before and you intentionally do some of these things people say to do on Sabbath, like stop, rest, play, contemplate, these kinds of things. And that's the sense I got from Chris Fisher. Like, wow, she, she and her family and Jared and Simon are sitting here and Chris and the girls, uh, Dami and Serena are next door. But the idea that, wow, her family is, has gone ahead of me and can speak into what this is like. It reminded me, it's mysterious deep work that God does in you in this time. So it's almost like one of those things like you don't know it till you've been there and some of the work starts to happen. There's this little parable that is told by Abraham Heschel who writes a book called The Sabbath and he says um, he, he, he brings up this idea of rest even from the thought of labor and then this is a story he shares a pious man once took a stroll in his vineyard on the Sabbath he saw a breach in the fence 
and then determined to mend it when the Sabbath would be over. The Sabbath continues. At the expiration of the Sabbath, he decided, since the thought of repairing the fence occurred to me on the Sabbath, I shall never repair it. (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? And yet, in my experience of Sabbath, I get that. Because there's inner work. That's, it's not just outer work that's done. There's something that happened for him in noticing where his heart was, in being busy about thinking about what to do. And then there's probably some layers God begins to peel off and show him things about how he's living and how focused he is on getting every fence mended all the time. And and he started to see the wisdom and how he could trust God more in leaving a little reminder right there of Sabbath. Leaving a little reminder about his spiritual heart and his issues that he needs to pay attention to. How he needs to trust the gospel more. There's a genius to the one day in a week thing and I think there's a God-given genius to that. And yet there's also all these micro-practices to cultivate Sabbath daily as well. There's a whole bunch of ways. Ask me. Like I said, I have four sermons on this, and I'm right now wrapping up the first one. But there's all these micro-practices. I'll just point to one more. And that is that um, I've experienced Sabbath and feel like I've been getting training in it through a practice called centering prayer that many people at City Life have also been practicing. It's a, sab- it's a micro-Sabbath, is what it is. And I've been trying to do it usually with, in 20-minute periods, but it can be done in any. You can do it for three minutes. You should probably start with three minutes. You can do it for five, ten, whatever, and there's apps that do this. Listen to, these, listen to these guidelines, how simple they are, and you might get a taste of how it is Sabbath. Choose a sacred word as the symbol of your intention to consent to God's presence and action within. It's only four steps. That's the first one. Choose a sacred word. Two, sitting comfortably and with eyes closed, settle briefly and silently introduce the sacred word as the symbol of your consent to God's presence and action within. Three, when engaged with your thoughts, return ever so gently to the sacred word. Four, At the end of the prayer period, remain in silence with eyes closed for a couple of minutes. That's it. So for a 20-minute period of time, you're basically only doing that third step. When engaged with your thoughts, return ever so gently to the sacred word. And what I've experienced in that is that the same frantic energy that I have up here that I work on in centering prayer, I just notice the constant new idea, the constant new thought, and I get better and better through centering prayer a tiny bit of just noticing the machinery, the, the busy machinery. And that's usually, usually if I do centering prayer for 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes of another thought that I kind of just release and another thought that I just release, another task that I just, that's all it is. There's no, there's no parting of the clouds. I don't see some new vision that I can then preach better sermons. It's just noticing how frantic my mind is. It translates to Sabbath. That's what, when I, on Friday, when I took 24-hour period of time, that's what I noticed. Same thing, just for a longer period of time. Let's pray. Our God of grace, we look to you for your wisdom. 
And we look to your Holy Spirit to pour out your love on us. May we be so captivated and taken by the treasure of your love that we're drawn to remain in that love, we're drawn to look for ways to be closer to you, we're drawn to look for ways to um, taste more and more of it. Not out of guilt, not out of aggressive obedience, but out of our love for you in return for the love you've given us. And may one of those things be that we get better as a church at Sabbath keeping. And may that help us to be more aware of you, more in touch with you, and more present with the presence of Jesus to the world around us. We pray in his name. Amen.